Vernon Samuels was 65 years old when he was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And Vernon Samuels went into the Rocky Mountain Hospice Center in Colorado Springs, where he would live out the rest of his life. Doctors assumed he had maybe six or seven months to live at that particular time. Now, Vernon was not an easy man to get along with. Vernon was mean-spirited, chased off all of his visitors, only the most intrepid family members would come and visit him. He didn't like himself. He didn't like his family. He complained about the TV shows, the, the kids today, the government, and the, the incompetent nursing staff. And he basically had no visitors except one lady named Dee Ring. And Dee Ring was a social worker who worked for the hospice center, and so she was kind of required to go there. And she went and visited Vernon Samuels every single day. When you walked into Vernon's room, it kind of smelled. The curtains were closed. Vernon would be in his pajamas in bed with the covers pulled up, if not to his chin, at least to his shoulders. Very discouraging just to walk into that environment. You can imagine Dee's surprise one day when she walked in and the curtains were wide open. Sunshine was coming through the windows. And there was old Vernon sitting up in bed with his uh, regular clothes on, and he said, Good morning, Dee. So good to see you. How you look lovely today. Have I told you how much I appreciate our little visits? Well, the first thing Dee thought was the doctors had upped his meds. <laughs> Something's wrong with this guy, and they hadn't. And so she began to ask Vernon, Vernon, why are you so happy today? He said, Joey came to see me. She said, Joey. Yes, my son Joey, he came and visited me. And she later found out that Joey, the son at age five, drowned. And 60 years ago, this event occurred. Well, Vernon, tell me more. Tell me more about why you're so happy today. Well, Joey said that I need to be nice to people. Well, you do. Joey said I needed to give encouragements. That, that's a good thing. And Joey also told me, this was Tuesday afternoon, he also told me on Friday... At exactly 12 o'clock, he was coming to get me and to take me to heaven. Dee didn't know quite what to say about that. She left the room and went and found one of his doctors and asked, Have you upped the meds? No, the meds are the same. She tells the doctor the story, what Vernon Samuel said about Joey and how Joey was coming at high noon. And the doctor said, Well... He's terminal, but he's not going to die on Friday at noon. He's got at least three, four, five months to go. And he said, you'd better be there at noon when he's still here and he's not up there. And so Friday at 1130, D-Ring walks into his room and she begins the normal chit-chatting. And, of course, he's dressed and he's happy and the curtains are wide open and he's got a bright, sunshiny face and just rolling out the encouragement and the compliments to her. And she didn't dare look at her watch because she knew that noon was just about approaching and she could hear the grandfather clock out in the hallway begin to gong one, two, three, four. And just as soon as the clock hit the twelfth gong, Vernon Samuels sat up in bed, threw his arms wide open and said, Joey! And she felt an electricity in the air. The hairs on her arm began to stand up. And the next instant, Vernon Samuels was gone. She pushes the emergency button. The guys come in, try to revive Vernon Samuels. And she thought to herself, he's not here. He is gone. Now, 
that documented story, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't quite know what to make of some of those stories. In preparation for this message series, I read hundreds of near-death experiences and after-death experiences. I read stories about where children have claimed they've seen angels, where people have said it's beautiful, where people have said an angel has come, a host has come, a guide has come, Jesus himself has come. I don't quite know what to make of those stories. In my own family, on October the 27th, when my own brother-in-law died just before he died, he asked his wife and his 25-year-old son to raise his arms. And there my brother-in-law, who'd been in a near coma state for hours, is now awake and alert, and he sees something. And he's asking my sister-in-law and my brother, my, my nephew, to raise his arms. What did he see? I don't know. But these stories raise a lot of questions about life after death. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot of questions about life after death. We're pretty good about the material world. We see it, we feel it, we understand it. We're not nearly as good with the unseen world. And so what will life after death be like? Isn't that a cool slide? I didn't do that. But isn't that a cool slide? I love that poster. I think that's really cool. I'd love to have the talent to be able to do something like that. I don't know what it's going to be like. Will we eat? Will we drink? I remember when Erica was three years old, she said, Dad, you know what the best part about heaven will be? I said, no, Erica, what's the best part about heaven? She said, you won't have to brush your teeth in heaven. <laughs> she said, there'll be no cavities in heaven. And I thought, you know what? That's pretty good. That's pretty cool. Will we be able to, to dance? Will we be able to cook? Will we go to, to plays? Will, will you learn to play the piano? Will you learn to fish? Will you do the things that you always want to do? I think the Bible gives us a lot of answers to those kinds of questions. But I think that we don't always want to think about the unseen world because we're not sure that we can really quite get there and understand it. And yet, the Bible is so full of clues. And so today, in the next five weeks, I am, I am like a kid in a candy store. I am so excited. In fact, we may go more than six weeks. We may go the next eight years on this topic. There's so much material to talk about, life after death. There's so much in the Bible. There's so many clues. Now, why don't we know more than what we do? Well, I think some people conclude that, you know, if I don't think about it, then I don't really have to worry about it. Well, that isn't really true, is it? I mean, you can deny some of these things, but they're still going to happen to you and they're still going to occur. I think sometimes people even use the Bible as, a, as an objection itself and they'll, they'll quote Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, and they'll say, you know, Kurt, right there in the Bible, it says the secret things. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But look at the next half of the verse. The next half of the verse says, but the things he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And God has revealed a whole lot about life after death. The four most important chapters in the Bible are the first two and the last two. The first two talk about God wanting to be with us, and the last two talking about God is with us. And He has revealed a whole lot of stuff between the first two chapters and the last two chapters about life after death. Some people will quote 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, which says... 
However is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. I said, Kurt, look at that. You can't know. You can't understand. It's, it's too grand to understand. And yet the very next verse says this, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And so the Spirit of God that wrote the Holy Scriptures through men of God, through 40 different authors, have revealed to us a great deal about life after death. So our topic this morning is life after death. You with me so far? Okay, I'm getting ready to go off to a rest stop for just an area, and we're going to get back on the highway. Don't lose, don't get lost. What's our topic? Life after death. All right. Now, I want to tell you a story, and then I'm going to come right back to this. One of the reasons why I am a Christian, as as a person, as as an individual, I I really had to come to grips with why am I a Christian? Why am I not this, or why am I not that, or why don't I believe this? Why is it that I am a Christian? And, And I've boiled it down to something that I think is just really simplistic, but it really affects life after death. And so one of the reasons why I am a Christian, and this is just me, and you don't have to think this way, you don't have to believe this way, but, but this is me. But, but I, I am a Christian today not because of the teachings of Christ. Now, the teachings of Christ are great. And he taught us one with an amazing authority. But it's not the teachings of Christ that have convinced me on why I want to become a Christian. They're great. They're wonderful. He was a great teacher. But there have been other great teachers throughout culture and throughout history. It's not that Christ was a great leader. I am not a Christian today because Christ was a great leader. Though he was a great leader. He was an amazing leader. He had no followers. And today, right now, alive on this planet, there are about 2 billion people who believe in his name. So he's a great leader. But but I'm not a Christian because of the teachings of Christ. I'm not a Christian because of the leadership of Christ. I'm not even a Christian because of the death of Christ. Now, he had to die, and he took your sins and my sins, and he had to pay a sin debt. We have a sin debt that we couldn't pay. But I'm not a Christian because a Jewish carpenter died on on a tree in Calvary. Lots of people died. Lots of people were crucified. But the reason that I am a Christian today is all based on an event. It is an event. And this event separates Christianity from everything and everybody else. This event had a teacher, had a leader, had a prophet who said, I'm going to die. And I'm going to, in three days later, rise again. And it is the event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the reason why I am a Christian. I'm not a Christian because of the teachings, the leadership or even his death. It's the event. Do you understand that? Does that make sense so far? This event separates Christ from everybody else. M- Buddha, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, L. Ron Hubbard, I think Elvis Presley. I'm not really sure. But they're all dead. They're all dead. But Jesus Christ is not dead. And because of that, he went to the grave and he came back up from the grave. So he has traction and authority to speak on life after death. Every other world religion talks about life after death, but they ain't been there and come back again. And so Jesus Christ has been there and he has come back. And so he tells us what life after death is like. Now, if we're going to go out deep sea fishing and and, and you're getting ready to go deep sea fishing, you've never been deep sea fishing before. Do you want to go 
with a guy who just got a boat and doesn't have a clue what he's doing, can't read the compass, doesn't have an understanding of the weather, doesn't have a clue about his GPS. Do you want to go with a guy like that? Or do you want to go with a captain who's been doing it for 25 or 30 years? You're saying, I don't want to go at all. I get seasick. <laughs> the, the point is, we have all these other world religion teachers trying to tell us about what life after death is like, and they've not been there. And yet the scriptures are so full with Jesus' teaching about life after death. So let's come out of the rest area. Let's get back on the highway. And we're talking about life after death today. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is kind of where we start on Easter. But I'm going to land today on the other half of the bridge. I think at Easter we kind of cover the first half of the bridge. But I want to cover both halves of the bridge this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, about the first eight verses, we see a a great deal of the teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 15, chapter 1. Now, brothers, I want you to remind you the gospel I preached to you, and gospel just means good news, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. See, they took their stand on an event. I mean, think about this. These guys didn't say after Jesus died, hey, you know, he's dead and he's gone. Let's keep the dream alive. Let's get together. You know, let's keep this thing going. What'd they do? We're going fishing. We're scared. They ran. I mean, they didn't keep the dream alive. There's no good explanation for this except the fact that they experienced the event. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared. Now, now look at this. See, here's the event. It's not just that he died. Just not just his teachings. It's not just that, you know, we're going to follow his leadership. We're, we're following somebody who did something significant. He rose from the dead. And afterwards, Jesus Christ made 40 days of post-resurrection appearances. 40 days after Christ rose from the dead, he started appearing to people. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers. At the same time, most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep again. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, and he appeared to all all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. All right, so that's kind of what we start on Easter, isn't it? We start with, you know, somebody witnessed it, somebody experienced it, somebody talked about it. I'm still not talking about you. I'm coming to you in just a minute. I'm coming to your future in just a minute in life after death. We're just warming up. Look at verses 12 through 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And this doesn't make any sense because we've all seen him. We all know what happened. He was in the tomb. There was a big stone. The Romans were guarding it. But he's not there any longer. He's he's not there. And if Christ has not been raised, well, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. This past week, I got to share Christ with one of my neighbors that I dearly like and dearly love. And he's a very smart, articulate, educated man. And we're talking about all this. And and he starts asking great questions. 
And he's asking those spiritual sticking point questions. Well, what about all these other faiths? And how can they all be wrong? And what about Muhammad? And what about Buddha? And what about this? And then I said, well, you know, you're right. Those are great questions. I thought he thought I was going to get upset. Those are great questions. But it all boils down to me to one fact. Did Jesus come up out of the grave? If he did, it separates Christ from everybody else. It separates Christianity from every other faith. It's unique. It's august. It's so completely different. And he said, you know, I, I, I never really thought about that before. And it's so true. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, this is an exercise in futility. Look at verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Why would they be false witnesses? Because they claimed they saw the post-resurrected Jesus. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. So as we talk about life after death, that's kind of where we stop at Easter. At Easter, we get everybody all excited and kind of foaming at the mouth, and we're charged, and we're ready to go and charge hell with a water pistol. He arose, and we sing those great songs, and they're all true and right. And they give me goosebumps. They do. I love it. Just love it. But what I want to do today is I don't want to talk about just Jesus' resurrection from the grave. I want to talk about your resurrection. There will be a resurrection of every single person. Every single individual, there will be a resurrection. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about a resurrection of creation. We're going to talk about a resurrection of nature. Everything's going to be different. Everything's going to be changed. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But for today, I want to talk about you. Life's all about you anyway, right? I want to talk about you for just a minute. And I want to talk about not Jesus' body, but I want to talk about your body. You will have a body in heaven. You will not be a ghost. You will not be a disembodied spirit that just kind of floats around from cloud to cloud to cloud. John Eldridge said this. He said, what man wants to go to heaven with the common notion that it's an ever-ending hymn service? What man wants to do that? Gary Larson's got a cartoon, and he shows this guy kind of marooned on an island. And he's got wings, and he's got this little halo, and he looks all alone, and the caption reads, Wish I'd brought a magazine. It's going to be so much greater, so far greater. But it starts with Christ's resurrection from the grave, but it also starts with now your body. So what happens to you in the afterlife? What happens to your body? Well, look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Maybe you want to take some notes. Just kind of maybe take some notes if, you want to, if you're a note taker. I don't have time for you probably to turn to all these. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Who by the power that enables him, this is Christ, Christ is the him, to bring everything under control, will transform our lowly bodies. And that's about, that's now. I don't care if you're in great shape. I don't care if you can swim the English Channel. Your body's still going to wear out. It's still lowly. Who will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his, this is the key, his glorious body. Well, okay, if our bodies are going to be transformed like Jesus' body, are there clues in Scripture of what Jesus' body was like? In those 40 days of post-resurrection appearances, can we kind of glean a little bit from, from Scripture what those bodies might look like? The answer to that is yes. Look at Luke chapter 24. 
Luke chapter 24, Jonathan read Luke 24 earlier during communion about that road to Emmaus, the two disciples walking with Jesus. It says, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. Just stop right there. One of the things that you will have in heaven are hands and feet. This is really simple. You think about the clues from Scripture. This is now a post-resurrected body. And Jesus is saying, look at my hands and look at my feet. A ghost does not have flesh. You will have flesh. And you will have bones, as you now see. Look look, look at John chapter 21. Now, I love this passage of Scripture, not just because they were fishing, not just because they caught 153 fish, but what it tells us about the post-resurrection body. Okay? Stay with me on this one. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Oh, he stood. Oh, he stood. So a post-resurrected body can stand, can't it? He stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, why didn't they realize it was Jesus? Did he come back younger? Did he come back fresher? Were they just not expecting to see the resurrected Christ? One of my questions is, is in the afterlife with a new body, what age do I get to pick? I mean, do we get to pick the age that we want? Will we come back, you know, if we died at 90, will we come back at 90? If we died at, you know, 17, do we come back at 17? I've seen pictures of of my grandmother. my, My grandmother was, she died when she was 93, and she's a beautiful, beautiful woman to me all her life. But when my grandmother was like around 28 to 30, I'm telling you, she was a babe. She was a hot ticket. I, I saw old pictures of my... Now, will my grandmother get to pick when she was 20? I don't know. I don't know that. Jesus was about 33. I mean, when, I don't know. But, but here we see that Jesus stood on the shore. They didn't recognize him. He called out. That means he's got a voice. That means he's got, you know, things that work that create sound. He, he called out to them, friends. He recognized them. One school teacher said that when I was seven years old, my Sunday school teacher told me that in heaven, I wouldn't know anybody and I wouldn't recognize anybody. And she said, it scared me to death. That's not true at all. We're going to know everybody. Guys like me are going to be having a social party from one end of the heaven to the other. It's going to be exciting, right? Friends. Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's talking about John. John said, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. I'd have been pulling in the fish too. I wouldn't have jumped in. I'd, I'd have been bringing the fish in just like they were. Look at the next verse. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. Now, how'd it get there? How'd the fire get there? Did Jesus just go, fire? I don't think so. I think Jesus, have you been around a campfire? And you enjoy the, the embers and you enjoy the glow? Last night we had a fire in the fireplace. And we just sat there and just enjoyed the fire. I think Jesus Christ physically, literally made a fire with his own hands. Put a fire, coals, fish on it. Jesus is cooking. Now Jesus could have said, you know, you know, filet mignon or I want salmon on the, you know, he could have done whatever he wanted to do. But he, he's cooking, isn't he? And they have some bread. 
Jesus said to them, well, bring some of the fish you guys have caught. Okay? And they did. And the Bible there says, when they had finished eating. In other words, they all sat down together. And you know what? I don't think Jesus Christ had a transparent esophagus. That when Jesus was eating bread and fish, they could see it, you know, kind of going down into his body. He, he has a body. He has a body. And here's where we stop at Easter. We stop about Jesus' body, and we don't think about our bodies. But there's 13 different times now in this next section of Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 35, there's 13 times that the Spirit led Paul to write the word body. 13 different times. Listen, listen to this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and now we're going to look at verses 35 through 44. Is everybody still with me? Have I lost half of you? You thinking about fishing or bread? Do you have breakfast? Okay. Well, someone may ask, well, how are the dead raised? I'd be asking that question, wouldn't you? That's a great question. Someone may ask, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? That's, that's, that's the ticket right here. That's where we're at today. What's life after death going to be like? What kind of body will they have? Look at the next verse. How foolish. What you sow does not come to life. Unless it dies. In other words, we won't know what that body's like here. We will only know what that body's like after death. Okay? Next verse. What you sow, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. Now, we know about the earthly bodies, right? Sometimes they work well, sometimes they don't work so well. Are you with me so far? We're there. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. Look at verse 41. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and the stars differ from stars in splendor. Verse 42. So it will be. So it will be. There will be different splendor. Those who have spiritual bodies will have a different splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, that's what we got right now. I don't care how healthy you are today. I don't care how good you eat, how much you work out. I don't care what... I mean, you got a natural body. Everybody understand that? I mean, the death rate so far is like one out of one, right? It's 100% so far, right? I mean, everybody, anybody escaped death? Nobody's escaped it. So will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised how? Imperishable. Look at the next verse. It is sown in dishonor. And what does dishonor mean? It doesn't mean that you're dishonorable. It just means that the body isn't going to, it's going to wear out. The cells die. Things happen. But it is, going to be, it is going to be raised in glory. You will have a glorified body in heaven. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And here's the, the last piece. If there is a natural body, and who would deny that? I mean, look at your hands, look at your feet, look at your personhood right now. Nobody's going to deny that there's natural bodies, right? 
If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And I am convinced, as we look through Scripture, that Scripture teaches us that the things that we enjoy doing here today, I think we're going to be able to do those things there in heaven. I think our bodies will work perfectly. I think you'll be able to enjoy so much of what you enjoy doing today with God and for God. And think how the whole thing started. The whole thing started in a garden. And they ate from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. Everything went, went south. But, but as long as they were able to eat from the tree of life, there was life. And we read in the last two chapters of the Bible, again, that we will be coming and partaking of the tree of life. So how do we then live? What does that do for me today? If I know where I'm going and I know what I'm going to have, what does that change or impact today? Have you watched the show... um, Home Improvement. How many of you have watched the, the Home Improvement show? It's, it's a kind of a cool show. And you've, you've got this family, and for whatever reason, they've been down and out, hard luck, not a great home, and the home's rat-infested and mildewed and needs to be torched. And so, you know, they, they put the family then on the bus, and they take the family to Disney, right? Take them to Disney, and they party at Disney. And in comes the wrecking balls and the, you know, the sledgehammers and the jackhammers. And, I mean, that house is just, you know, it's, it's done. It's over with. And so they've got these teams of people, and they're rebuilding the house and putting the house together. And, and, and you don't see the house. You don't see a picture of the house. And so what happens is, is there's the bus... The bus is the key to the home improvement show. The bus is in between the family when they arrive and the new house. And so when the family gets off this little shuttle bus, there's this huge bus in front of the house. And so the family can't see the house because of the the bus. And so then the the, the three famous words of the show are what? Move that bus. And so you hear that big bus, and I won't do the sound, you know. You hear this big bus moving away. Now the cameras, the cameras don't show you the house. The cameras are right on the family. And the cameras have got the eyes on the family, and the family's going. And the mom's crying, and she's shaking. The dad's thinking, I don't have to pay for this. Hallelujah, this must be heaven on earth. It's a great moment for the dad. And the little kids, you know, are going like this, you know. And and the camera's on their faces. doesn't even show the house. It just shows the faces of the people. And you and I know, because of the faces of those people, this is a good moment. This is an extraordinary moment. Shouldn't our faces... Reflect what we can see. And faith is the essence of what we believe and what we've already seen in our hearts, in our heart of faith. Shouldn't our faces every day reflect the incredible promises of the glory of God? I know we got pain, I know we got problems, I know we got issues, but we're going to have a glorified body. We're going to have a body that works, hands that work, mouth that works, eyes that work, ears that work, feet that work. I'm going to run faster than all of you, fish longer than all of you. It's going to be a great life. Shouldn't our bodies and our faces today reflect our hope and our faith? Church, do we get it? That all these clues and all this hope and all these promises are just laid out right there before us. I think we do. I think we do get that. 
And I want to encourage you and encourage me that every day our faces will reflect the incredible event that took place in Calvary on a cross over 2,000 years ago. And all these people witnessed the event and their lives were never the same. May our faces reflect our hope in the resurrected bodies that we will have forever and forever. And so because of that event, maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe you don't understand all this. And maybe today somebody kind of talked you into coming because we're going to talk about life after death for five or six weeks. I'm so glad you're here. Just come back. Just come back. But maybe today is your day to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe today you'd like to surrender and say, you know what, I want to do that. I want to become a Christian. I want to cross over. Maybe today is your day to sign up. You know what, as I start this new year, uh, we're not going to do beach baptisms for a couple of months. We can do them. I just won't be there. But, we, but we're not going to do them at the beach. We're, we're going to do them right over here at our baptistry stage, stage left. Maybe you want to sign up for, for your baptism. You want to, want to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you want to take a step forward and say, you know what? We got the men's breakfast this Saturday, and I, I'm not really sure how to connect and get with all these guys, but, but I'm, I'm going to take a step forward. I'm going to go forward like that. Or maybe for you it's just starting point. You just want to get into starting point. Starting point even starts today. Or, or membership after church today. Maybe today it's time for you to join the mission of a local church. And today you can come and right after second service at 1215 upstairs. We have our membership. For those of you that want to know more about our church. Maybe it's time for you to, to take a step forward with classes and studies. I think 220 people were here Wednesday night. I got my group up in Palm Harbor. But here at the church, there were like 220 people in classes and studies. And you can see in the bulletin, there's all kind of spiritual classes and opportunities for you to get connected and to, to get, into, get involved. I just want our faces to reflect what we believe. I want our faces to reflect the incredible hope that we have. And for our faces just to be like, oh, my Goodness, how good it is it's going to be.